This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Fifty years ago, the unthinkable happened. A night of terror unfolded in Montana's Glacier National Park, and the ripple effects are still being felt by fly fishers and all other kinds of outdoor enthusiasts throughout the West. Shortly after midnight on August 13, 1967, a grizzly bear dragged a 19-year-old woman, Julie Helgeson, from her sleeping bag where she was camped near Granite Park Chalet. The bear mauled her. Julie died four hours later at 4.12 a.m. This was the first fatality from a bear attack since Glacier Park officially opened in 1910. Then, less than half an hour later, it happened again. Eight crow flight miles away around 4.30 a.m. at Trout Lake, another grizzly dragged another 19-year-old woman, Michelle Coons, from her sleeping bag to her death. Here at Two Guys in a River, we recently ran a piece on this, but there's more we wanted to explore. Dave, as you think about this horrific event, this double tragedy, what, what's something that struck you about that as you reread the accounts? I know that we watched a, a documentary that was done maybe seven, eight years ago by Montana PBS, but what stood out to you? Well, when I watched the documentary, one of the first things that hit me was the heroics of the helicopter pilot that night. Oh, that was amazing. He flew a Huey helicopter, and I really don't know what that is, but... Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's a big helicopter. Yeah. And he did it without instruments yeah. at night. In fact, one of the comments that he makes is that, and he did both flights, right? So this guy is yeah. sleeping. Yes. He's yeah. awakened. Mm -hmm. You know, we have this bear mauling. Gets in, up in Granite Park Chalet. In the Granite the, Park yeah. Chalet, the mm -hmm. first one, right. And so he flies it without instruments. And I remember his comment where he mentions that he could only see the star. It was There were kind of two backdrops. One was the stars, and the other was complete darkness. And he knew he was against the mountain when all he could see was complete darkness. Yeah. The other thing he mentioned was when he was trying to land, especially at that first, uh, where the first mauling was, right. people would shine their flashlights in tr trying to help him yeah, land the yeah. airplane or the helicopter. Right, they kind of formed that perimeter, didn't they? And yeah. he said, I, they blinded me. And so he had to radio down and say, hey, could you put your flashlights and point them you know, in the ground because I can't yeah. see where I'm landing. So I think the heroics of that pilot was just amazing. And they, they kind of went unmentioned. Now, they were mentioned in the, in the documentary. In fact, if you want to watch that documentary, there's a link in Steve's article that is on our site uh, about the Glacier Park grizzly attacks. But it was, it, it was really amazing that this, this man was able to navigate that helicopter without instruments twice and rescue. Well, they didn't really rescue him because they were dead. But, but the first one, though, he did, uh, the, the young man, Roy Duquette, who had been oh, mauled right. with Julie Helgeson. I mean, it sounds like that was kind of a, it could have been a life and death thing if they didn't get him out yes, to that's medical right. attention. So he actually did uh, really save his life. So, yeah. I, I, you know, when you think about just the magnitude of what happened that night, oh. the tragedy of it, 
boy, you see these ordinary people doing really extraordinary oh, things. Was, and it was really inspirational for me. That really was something. I think another thing that really stood out to struck me was the the history of the Trout Lake bear. This was the bear that killed Michelle Coons. And throughout the summer, this grizzly had been causing a lot of problems. In fact, it was uh, it was emaciated. It was a very scrawny, uh, And why would bear. that be in the middle of the summer? You know, that's a good question. I You have to wonder, again, this is a bear that, that they had described as habituated. It was, uh, you know, it was feeding off of, of camp food and things like that. But I, I don't know. That doesn't even fully explain it, does it? No, it doesn't. Because there were a lot of other bears that did the same thing. But for whatever reason, that, that bear was, uh, it was a nasty bear. I mean, there's a... There's a, a camp right near Trout Lake, uh, some cabins uh, not too far. Uh, in fact, this is all in the McDonald Lake area. If, if listeners know anything about Glacier, might have heard of McDonald Lake. It's on the west side of the uh, kind of the west side of the big mountain range. Uh, anyway, Kelly's camp. There, there were a number of campers, riders on horseback that, that this bear confronted. It ransacked campsites and. One of the most fascinating stories is is that it chased a group of Girl Scouts, and a 13-year-old girl, uh, after they had gotten a little little bit away from this uh, to, to a safe vantage point, actually snapped a photo of the bear, and it made the front page of the August 10th edition of uh, Kalispell's newspaper, the Daily Inner Lake. Now think about that. That's what, three, four days uh, before these attacks. That is amazing. And in fact, I think, if I remember, the paper actually misidentified the bear. They, they called it a black bear. Again, it's so emaciated and it was uh, kind of had a darker hue to it that they, uh, uh, <laughs> they didn't realize it was a grizzly. And I think the other thing is the fact that that bear showed up twice that night prior to mauling Michelle Coons. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I mean, the first time is right after they set up camp and the bear moved in and just took over and ate food. And then then they made camp down near the lake. Uh, they were thinking about hiking out that night, but they realized they'd have to go through uh, a lot of that bear country in the dark, so they didn't do it. Uh, so they set up camp. This is after the first time. And sometime during the night, uh, one of the guys heard the bear come and take some cookies off of a log nearby and then heard it splashing in the lake. I mean, how eerie is that? Wow. And, and what is it then that the third time it comes back and it snaps? Yeah. Um, and there's so many unanswered questions about that. Yeah. Those two, that, those two tragedies. Oh, I know it. Yeah, another one that I thought that was really interesting that is a, just a side story of the larger narrative is the priest who gave the last rites for Julie Helgeson at Granite Park Chalet. And so if you watch the documentary, it actually opens with an interview with the priest. And so you can imagine he must have been really, really young, probably in his early 20s. Yeah. Or was he even 19? I think he was, I would think he was mid-twenties. Or mid-twenties. Something like that. Yeah, he had to be already through the yeah, training. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, but when Julie died, so he was with her and held her hand and walked, you know, when they picked her up and took her into the chalet, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And actually was with her when she gave her last breath. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned something to him. I don't remember what it was, but there was this intimacy between you know, the priest yeah. and her 
that was really powerful as he gave her her last rites. And I think in something that's so tragic, you tend to lose these little things that happen yeah. that were really important. And I, you know, you and I are both people of faith, and so for me, that was really an important and yeah. moving moment, uh, even in the midst of a horrific tragedy. Oh, it really was, and just just hearing him describe that, just reading about it, and how uh, I think right after he gave her last rites, that you know, he just felt her hand relaxed, and and she slipped and she away. She was gone. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh my, wow. what a what a horrendous thing. I, I think something too that really touched me was the lack of bitterness on the part of Michelle Kuhn's father when he was entered seven years interviewed seven years ago actually the interview was with both parents and you see this on that documentary that was done in 2010 yeah or I think published it was. in 2010 right. or maybe it was released in in 2011 but it was done in 2010 okay. so yeah about seven years ago and and I remember that scene you know here's this older gentleman with his wife and they're you know how they could even reflect back on that incident you know without totally breaking down but he said he holds no ill will and and this is this is his quote he said i always would think about what civilization has done to bears forcing them to do things they wouldn't ordinarily do and wow. just you think, think you could oh say my. that after 50 oh years reflecting on this on your daughter's passing. Wow, you, you think you, you know, some would grow even more bitter. Now, that's the thing about about old age, isn't it, Dave, that it, it kind of intensifies, it magnifies your your character. I think people who are who are mellow grow even mellower. Is that a word? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah they have yeah, that yeah. soft side. But I've seen it too. People that have that hard edge can become even more bitter. And I was just struck that here here's a guy that... Uh, you know, he has he had some sympathy for the bears and their plight. One of my favorite writers uh, is Richard Rohr, who's a writes he's a Catholic writer who writes on spirituality. But he talks about kind of the two halves of life and the kind of the journey that we need to make in the first half versus the second half. He talks about the alternatives for guys, especially because there's a spirituality journey for women and mm-hmm. also for men, and they're not the same. And he talks about becoming the bitter old fool. Wow. And and how easy it is to take that journey in the second half of life. Hmm. And as you look at this story and listen to that father talk about his daughter with no bitterness and yeah. talk about the tragedy and then, you know, in a sense, talk about the bears in a way that say, hey, these just think about the larger picture of what has mm-hmm. happened to these bears. I, yeah. I have to say that is actually a model for me. I, I don't yeah, know that I really could say is. that. Oh, I know it. I know it. It's really amazing. The other thing that really struck me was how they hunted the bears down afterwards, and they found shards of glass in the Trout Lake Bear. Yeah. And, you know, and they never comment on that. I I guess I have a theory. You probably have the same theory. I mean, if that's a garbage bear, it's probably at at one point chomped on a Coke bottle or something. Yes, that's exactly right. My guess uh, is the bear was in a lot of pain. Yeah. And... And maybe it was emaciated because it had a hard time digesting something. Or, yeah, I mean, yeah. who knows really why that bear that could couldn't be. eat. That could be. By the way, not to digress, but the, the other bear at Granite Park Chalet, which they think is the one that killed Julie Helgeson, they could never they could never establish that for sure, but they're confident, and I 
no need for a conspiracy theory that that bear is still yeah. <laughs> lurking around somewhere uh, around Granite Park Chalet. But anyway, that particular bear had a, a wound on its pad, I think, on its paw. And, and again, they speculated this was a bear that was in a lot of pain. So may, maybe, you know, that, that's probably as close as you can get to why those... Uh, uh, you know, why two attacks at the same night? Well, it was because those bears were in pain. It was because of the wildfires and lightning that agitated them. But, but anyway, you, you're talking about uh, so was it yeah, also hunt. was it the same bear that had the shards of glass in its jaw? Was that the same one that had actually eaten part of the woman? Right, right. And the one that they found that yeah. um, and there was a ball of blonde hair yeah, when they. Yeah. Um, cut open the bear that oh, fell yeah. out of its stomach yeah I mean, that's pretty uh yeah pretty gruesome yeah pretty it? gruesome wow. for sure but yeah that was that was quite the story and if i recall the uh uh which bear was it i think it was the one around trout lake that weren't they in a the two rangers were in a cabin and i'm, I'm getting him confused that, yeah i i can't but anyway one, one of the bears two. actually came up and you know, I think was going to charge him, and they they shot it. But uh, that's a what a what a crazy what a crazy situation. You know, something else I found really intriguing was uh, was Paul Dunn. He was the 16 year old who was invited by by both groups to accompany them, and I somehow I had missed that before, and I. I you know, I can't remember if that was even in Night of the Grizzlies by Jack Olson. That's the definitive uh, work. He was kind of a crime writer. He wrote for Sports Illustrated at the time, but a crime reporter. And and I don't know if he talked about that, but that came out in the documentary. First of all, I thought it was interesting. You know, this is a group of 18, 19, you know, 20-year-olds who are college age. And for some reason, Paul Dunn was a friend of both. And and he had was invited by both groups. Think yeah, about that. that. But he said he had just recently visited Granite Park Chalet. So instead of going with uh, Julie Helgeson and Roy Duquette, he went with uh, the, the group that, that uh, Michelle Coons was part of. And this is what he said in an interview seven years ago. It's kind of chilling. He said, when I finally pieced it together that Granite Park Chalet's incident involved two other friends of mine that I had intended to go camping with, there was a shudder in my being that still remains today that somewhere, somehow, I was meant to be in an experience that night with a grizzly bear. I was lucky to be a survivor. <laughs> wow, you spend an entire lifetime trying to reflect on that oh, and integrate that and try to frame it. and I mean, that... I know. It's an amazing quote. And I wondered as I as I listened to the interviews, Roy Duquette was interviewed. And by the way, I I saw online that his obituary, I think he died, couldn't have been too long, maybe within a year of that interview, he he having open heart surgery and passed away at 63 maybe, 62, wow. 63. But even as he was interviewed, I, I was just struck by uh, how he was able to speak about it, you know, very respectfully, but but kind of, uh, I don't know, it was almost detached. Do you yeah. get that sense? Yeah, and, very much so. You know, maybe that's what maybe that's what time does, especially something that happens like that in your, you know, when you, when you're such a young young adult. Maybe you have to compartmentalize it. Yeah. To mm -hmm. to basically move on. Or, yeah. and I don't say that in, that that's a bad thing necessarily, yeah, right. right? I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Boy. You know, I'm also really grateful for the bear management that's, you know, that has been done, you know, in Glacier and Yellowstone National Park, eliminating yeah. mm-hmm. the problem of, quote, habituated bears who salivate at the prospect of food from human beings. I remember camping up in, uh, in a national forest by Augusta, Montana one night and waking up and hearing this sniffing. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I have never been so scared in my life. And it, I think it was that trip that the next day or the day after that they the helicopter and they pulled out a bear just near where we were camped and it was it was one of the most scary moments you know oh, of my man. life and it yeah and that sniffing it may have been only for 10 oh, seconds wow. but it felt like for you know, like i forgot 10 minutes. about that i remember you telling me yeah about it was that. it was wow. after you and i uh um, yeah. it was probably several years after you and i yeah. fished there i was man. probably 23 or 24 wow. i think i was either with my brother or another friend uh, yeah trips all start to merge oh, they together do, but they? um Separating human food from bears is one of the most basic things that the management has done, you know, of Glacier yeah. and Yellowstone National Park. Really has. That's kind of a good segue. Just some, just some personal reflections on this. I, I think it's a great place to start. I, you know, I guess to this day, I I have a healthy fear of grizzlies. Yet, ironically, it's not enough to keep me from hunting or fly fishing in grizzly country. I, I do feel. Uh, a bit more security, knowing that that just because of what you said that the management that the the problem of habituated bears for the most part's been done away with. In other words, those who salivate at the prospect of food, uh, that's not that's not the issue. Uh, but what what the issue is 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 stumbling onto a bear, having a chance encounter, and you know you and I do everything to minimize that, but. But there are no guarantees. You know, I, I visited a campsite. I don't know if this is my macabre site or what, but I, I visited a couple campsites uh, in Glacier, one right outside the park where people were killed. There was, a, there was a young woman in 1974 who was killed in Mini Glacier Campground. I mean, she was in an improved campsite. Uh, I, I remember What pulling, does improved mean? Oh, I mean, it was just, well, it was a... It was a campsite you could drive to. It was all it was all pavement. Oh my! I remember we drove in. Our family was camped there in 1981. It was uh, right after our first year of college, and and I visited that site. I convinced my folks to hey, let's drive in and see that. So we we drove in. There was nobody in the campsite. So we pull into this paved campsite, you know, in this campground where there's plenty of people around. But it was it was right on the edge of the campground, and I remember walking down into uh, just right below that. I don't know if there was a little creek, but there was some willows about 50 yards just below that campsite. And and I had read in this book about where this happened, and I just remember just shuddering. It was such an eerie feeling. Yeah, thinking you know the bear came up to her campsite, you know, pulled her out of her sleeping bag. I think out of the tent, and drug her down there and why i mean that that's a few years after these policies had been implemented uh, but uh yeah it's I, I to this day i i really have that that healthy fear of grizzlies uh and i and i hope that's something that, that kind of keeps me uh, uh alert and and keeps me doing the kind of things that hopefully will guarantee our safety i think one more thought is that bears and humans you know we must figure out a way to coexist 
And yeah, I think you know, the parks are doing a good job separating you know, human food from where the bears are that I mentioned earlier. But I think like with hunting, I think, you know, personally, I would always rather have a canister of bear spray than yeah. a 44 mm-hmm. Magnum. I know there are many of you that probably would mock me for saying that, but just saying I'm a hunter, the issue is not for me, the firearm itself, but just the effectiveness of what's best. Well, exactly. I mean, if, if, if you're getting mauled by a bear, notice what I did there. I, I didn't say if I'm getting mauled by a bear. <laughs> if you're getting mauled by a bear, Dave. And, Steve uh, is already at the truck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, that hurt. Yeah, that's, that may be true. Oh, I'll, I'll get help, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going for help. Hang on. <laughs> No, but if I have a 44 Magnum and a bear's mauling you, I can't shoot that bear yeah. without hitting you. Plus, even if you do, you and I both know as hunters, you can hit a bear right in the vitals, any vitals, and it's not going to drop instantly unless you hit it in the spine. But pepper spray does have that effect. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, anything that you shoot, any animal, you can hit it yeah. in the vitals and it can run for another mile. Yeah. I mean, it we can. shoot geese all the time that you hit a goose, and next thing you know, a mile later, you see it. Yep flutter down into the into a fallow field and there it lays and then it's it's been it was dead upon impact absolutely so i i think the the other thing is you know the importance of making noise the big thing today with bears grizzly bears is surprising them right absolutely there was that biker in glacier national park that was killed yeah that surprised Mm -hmm. a grizzly and uh, that's why when we fly fish you know yellowstone national park often if we're walking through willows or through brush where there's not a lot of visibility, we'll scream yeah, and we'll shout and talk. Stuff. And yeah, people yeah. think we're crazy. Exactly. I'm sure, but but uh, it's this idea of just giving them the heads up. That the big yeah. thing is the surprise when you pop over around a willows and then you run into a you know a sow yeah. with two, two oh, cubs. Boy. Man, then yeah. you're in trouble. That's that's bad news. Well, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Dace posted this comment on our piece on the Glacier Park grizzly attacks. And he says this. I thought this was really fascinating. He said, when my kids were young, their aunt was a wrangler at Roosevelt. You know where that is, Dave. That's that lodge in oh, yeah, Yellowstone yeah, yeah. National Park. Yeah, right by Tower Junction. Yeah, absolutely. We, we drive by it all the time. He says, so when my kids were young, their aunt was a wrangler there at Roosevelt Lodge, and we went to see her. While driving with their aunt, we ran into a bear jam. I watched as a small grizzly tried to escape the people. The bear made its way down a hill onto the road and right into a big group of tourists. My kids were made to stay in the car, but their aunt went to help the ranger that was trying to get people out of the way. The bear came up onto the road and the people ran. One couple left their young child and ran. Oh, man. I can't believe it. Oh, my. It's one thing if you run, Dave, which you just accused me of. But leaving your young child, yeah. So the ranger and my and my kid's aunt grabbed the kid who was right in the scared path of the bear. People don't realize that these are not house pets and will hurt or kill you. Unbelievable, now that isn't it? Is oh, an amazing man. story. Wow. You know, I think this year in Yellowstone was like the like one of the biggest years ever in terms of crowds, and yeah. so with that kind of volume of people moving through the park. You just hear more and more of these kind of incidences. Oh, I, know. I know. It's so true. 
Well, that's going to do do it for today before we really get off on, on that topic. It's kind of a Debbie Downer uh, topic. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, I was thinking, yeah, you're right. The whole topic today has been, but then you think about the, the stupidity that you see. And, and we've done some stupid things. We'll, we'll do a podcast on that. Yes, we will. Yes, we will do one. But anyway, for now, hey, tell us about any encounters that you've had or witnessed with grizzly bears. Please go to twoguysinariver.com and comment on this podcast link. If you had any experiences with grizzly bears, if so, please tell us about it. You can find Two Guys in a River pretty much everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, Stitcher. And of course, you can visit our website. We publish one new episode and one new post or article each week. And of course, we'd love for you to purchase our book on Amazon.com, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. I don't think there's many copies left, are there, Dave? I think they are going so fast. <laughs> I will say this. We have five really great reviews on Amazon that are unsolicited. And uh, so we'd love, especially as you think about birthday gifts or Christmas gifts, we just think the book makes a perfect gift. So Absolutely. Pick it up on Amazon. You bet. Well, hey, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. <laughs>